Hello, and welcome to episode 184 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. Today's guest is Ron Carr. Ron has worked with leaders on six continents to eliminate risk, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster with the Velocity Mindset. His presentations and advisory services have generated over a billion dollars in incremental revenue for his clients. Ron is the author of five books, including his latest, The Velocity Mindset, and the best-selling Lead, Sell, or Get Out of the Way. Ron facilitates the Chief Revenue Officer Mastermind Group, made up of CEOs and VPs building high-performance sales cultures. Ron and I talk about lessons from his book, Velocity Mindset. We talk about getting clarity, asking questions, engaging your team in the process, the importance of pausing, and a whole lot more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Ron, it is such a pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much for joining me on The Modern Manager. It's my pleasure, Mamie. Thank you for having me. All right. So let's dive right in because you have a new book about velocity mindset. So what is this concept? Let's just start with the basics. So Mamie, when you hear the word velocity, what's the first word that comes to your mind? Mm, Speed. Yeah. And that's what most people say, speed, momentum. But the thing, Mamie, is if that's all they think about, then they're not really gaining velocity. They're usually gaining burnout. Let me give you an example. So, you know, most people are task-oriented and not purpose-oriented. They're managing their tasks, their to-do lists, and by the end of the day, they're so busy, they never didn't even have a chance to stop for lunch, and they're exhausted, but then they're disappointed because sometimes they realize, well, how did this really move the needle for me? That's what we call task-oriented. We need them to be purpose-oriented. So if you look at the definition of velocity, the physics definition is speed with direction. Direction is one's purpose. Where are you trying to go? What are you trying to accomplish? So the first thing that I'd say to the audience, if you really want to gain speed in terms of achieving what it is you want, first be clear about what you want and let that drive all your decisions and all your tasks. You do that, you're going to gain an incredible leg up on the velocity in your life in terms of how fast you're getting to certain things you want to accomplish. I love this definition of velocity of speed with purpose coming from physics. That makes a lot of sense that I totally know what you're talking about of having – getting a lot done in a day and then still feeling like you didn't make any progress. Yes, right? yeah. it, speed alone does not help us. We have to know where we're headed. So what approaches – do you find to be most useful for thinking about setting that direction so that you know that wherever you're going to ultimately put your efforts in, you're going somewhere meaningful? Is there a process that you like to use? Sure. So start with the end in sight first. So like, for example, let's suppose that you're in New York and you want to come down and uh, visit me in uh, Florida and you want to go to Fort Lauderdale. You go to LaGuardia Airport and you go on the plane, you ask the pilot where we're going and the pilot says, I have no clue wherever the winds take us. Would you stay on that plane? (laughs) Definitely not. Although it could be a fun adventure. Yeah, but absolutely not. Right. But, you know, what a pilot does is they start with the end in sight first. So they say, "Okay, where we're going, Fort Lauderdale. 
Then they work their way back. What are the three waypoints? We know that if we go over these three places, we know we're on our way. What are the three things that have to happen for you to get there so that you can start measuring it? And then what are the potential obstacles that can get in your way? Storms, winds. And then by the time that's all taken into account, the pilot now has a flight path, a plan that's going to get them there safely and the fastest way possible. So for your listeners, start with the end in sight first. What is it you want to accomplish in a year, in your life, in a project? You know, be very clear. And what some of your listeners may say, well, I can't, I don't know what that is. And, and, and so that's an excuse. It's a story. It stops you from thinking. You know, when we when we we work with CEOs on this, the what we ask them to do is we ask them to use the clean piece of paper exercise. An example that I'll give you is I was uh, hired by a multinational chemical manufacturer. I already spoke to a lot of the division. There's one division uh, worked for 20 years to create a reagent in the U.S. that cut in half the cost of mining copper. When they brought it to the marketplace in the 80s, a lot of the copper mines were going bankrupt, and this saved them from going bankrupt. So when you have something so um, dramatic like that that's producing results, your sales shoot up. But then your competitors see that you're doing that. They re-engineer their offering. Not as good as yours, so they beat you on price. But all of a sudden, you start seeing your market share come down. That's where they were. So they heard me speak to the division. The VP comes up to me and he goes, hey, you know, the largest copper mine is um, up for bid in 18 months. All their mines. I need your help. Can you fly out and visit with us on Friday? I said, sure. So I flew up to Tucson. And the first question I asked him was, what do you want for my intervention? Now, that industry, Mamie, they used to buy on a bid every three years for a supply agreement, lowest price. And I said, what do you want for my intervention? They said, we want to win the bid. And I said, you did not hear the question. You're answering that question based on what you know the past to be, your biases and experiences. But all you're going to do then is recreate the past if that's what you're doing. Forget the past right now. Think about what you want to accomplish with this client what you want to accomplish. Let, you know, let dream about it. What comes up for you? What's your passion? And they said, why do we have to bid? We saved this company from going bankrupt. I said, great. So if you don't want to bid, what do you want? A negotiated agreement. I said, okay. And uh, they do it every three years. No, nope, we want 10 years. Life of the patents. I said, okay. And you have 25% of the demand. We want 75%. So let me just restate what you said. You don't want to bid. You want to negotiate a deal, 10 years for 75%. And they said, yes. And I said, you could really do that if you want, but understand it takes a different set of actions, tasks to get to that end result than it does to win a bid. Then they asked me the fateful question, maybe. They said, how are we going to do it? And my answer, I have no clue. <laughs> and they looked at me and they go, what? And they said, you're the consultant we brought in here. I said, look, let me rephrase that. I have a clue. But exactly how we're going to do that, I don't know until we ask the questions, we get the information, we assess, and then new ideas will come to us. That's the process. So what people mistake is when they're trying to figure out where they're going, they think they have to have everything mapped out and you can't. You need to have the destination that gives you a, a, a passion that makes you want to go and do what you have to do. The reason why that's so important is because we can have the best laid plans but we know that sometimes things get in our way. So you're on the track to that destination, something comes up, pushes you off the track, 
It's that passion that's going to bring you back on. If you don't have that, then any obstacle will keep you derailed. But the clarity of the vision only happens from walking the journey. So you got to have an idea of what you want. You got to be married to it in a sense. You got to be passionate like they were at that moment. And then they got to start trusting the process, knowing that as they keep investigating, thinking about it, asking better questions, new answers come, eventually it will all become clear as to what has to happen. And I said to them, I said, look, there's no guarantees here, but I know in my heart of hearts, you're not doing anything I'm about to share with you. So I do believe you have a chance of getting close to it, if not to where you want to be. Wow, that's a, such a great story that illustrates so many of the points that you're making. And I, I want to pull some of those out. The first yeah. is this idea of you have to have clarity of where you're going, but you don't have to have everything figured out up front. And I feel like that is so different from how work tends to happen. And, yes. and maybe it's changing because of the pandemic and there was so much uncertainty for for a while. But I feel like most of the experiences I've had and working with with clients or in other roles is you got to know where you're going and you have to plan how you're going to get there. And if you don't have it all figured out up front, then you're setting yourself up to fail. But how can you have it all up front if you didn't start asking the questions, if you didn't start having the conversations from which that information now helps you think and become more creative and new ideas. There was a book written in 1913 called The Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles. It's free, it's a 49 page PDF on the internet, The Science of Getting Rich. And what he did in 1913 was he started evaluating what's different between the industrial tycoons who have made it, you know, the people that did the railroads and the banks and all that, versus just everybody else. What was different? And he isolated a couple of things, but one thing that I'll just share with you that supports what we're talking about now is the concept of a thought and formless substance. So a thought and formless substance is like the big idea, has no form. You have a big idea, this is something we should be doing. And then most people get stopped because they don't know how to do it. But what he said was the industrials didn't get stopped. What they did was they just allowed themselves to have that big idea ruminate in their conscious mindset. So as they started ruminating they, they, and, and they were thinking about it in every conscious waking moment, an idea would come, a question would come. They go get the answer. Then a new question would come. And then eventually the picture starts taking hold. So let's suppose you're in New York. You know, um, let's suppose that there's an area of Brooklyn that's, let's say, not developed. And you say, this would be a great mall. 20 people would have the same idea, but they're saying it's too big, so they let it go. You, on the other hand, you're saying, no, I'm not going to let it go. I'm going to let it ruminate my mind. So you start thinking about it. And you're saying, okay, what would make people want to come to something like this? And you start getting some answers and it starts building a picture. And you say, what are the, what do the buildings need to look like? What do we need to have in, in the mall to make the attraction? And these ideas come. So now you have a picture. Now you go to an architect. The architect takes that picture out of your mind and actually creates a real picture. So now you can touch it, feel it. You get even more jazz. Now you don't know how to build it. So you go find some contractors who know and you ask them what would it take? And they ask you questions. Before you know it, you have a contractor plan. Before you know it, work starts. And before you know it, it becomes a reality. But there's no way from the conception of the idea can it become a reality the next day without going through those steps. So allow yourself to go through the steps. What's important as the leader is are you committed to the existence of that idea and to making it happen? 
Yeah. And and as you can see, like that example right there takes a lot of people to be asking questions and to come together to share what they know and to probe and and grow and develop an idea together. So I'm wondering about how this approach works with teams and if you have any thoughts about how managers can engage their team in this practice of asking questions and and trying to unearth the answers as you're going along. Right. So the manager is probably going to have an idea what the team results should be, right? They're being charged with them, with the CEO saying, here's what you're going to do. And so they put that up on the board and say, okay, here's the place that we want to get to. I want to hear your opinions. Do you think you can get there? And if so, what needs to happen? And they start talking about it. And out of that comes new ideas. And then people start getting a little bit juiced because A, they're participating in the creation of the plan of how to get there, which means if they participate, it means that some of it's their ideas, which means they're likely to follow through on it. And that's the process. Start with that clean piece of paper. Yeah. And you know, one of my favorite activities, I don't know if you've seen this or experimented with this, is question storming, right? So instead of brainstorming ideas, we question storm, what are the questions that we need to be asking or what are the questions that we need to be answering in order to make this work, in order to move this idea along, in order to kind of start to bring this into fruition. And that process of figuring out those questions, I mean, it opens up as you're saying, so much more possibility and starts to refine ideas so that you can have that clear direction, you can have that buy-in, and you can start to take action in the right direction. Right. So when you talk about buy-in, maybe the thing that we have to understand is, you know, in, in the Velocity Mindset, the subtitle is how leaders eliminate resistance, gain buy-in, and achieve better results faster. You don't gain buy-in by telling people what they have to do, Right. You gain buy-in by finding out on an individual basis what's important to those people, where they're trying to get to. So when you have to share an idea that you want them to do, you're now presenting the idea in context to what's important to them. Let me give you an example. I was uh, in the CEO's office of a retainer client. I've been a retainer for quite a few years. It's a manufacturer and supervisor comes storming in, really upset, and he goes, damn guy's on a cell phone. I said, well, what did you do? I told him to get the heck off the cell phone. What did he say? He said, why should I? Everybody else is on a cell phone. What did you do? I yelled at him to get off of it and stormed away. I said, how well did that work for you? And I replayed the conversation and he stopped me and goes, yeah, I probably wouldn't have done it myself either. I said, is the issue really the cell phone? He goes, yes. I said, no, it's not. You're trying to win the battle and not the war. The battle is the cell phone. The issue is that he's late. What do we know about this individual? Well, he wants to be a master welder. What do you need? Quality and timeliness. How's his quality? Perfect. That's why we like him. All right. So he's late on his one job, right? Yeah. So just go back to him and say, look, I know you want to be a master welder, right? He goes, yeah. So you notice two things you need, quality and timeliness. Your quality is superb. That's why we love you. You're usually on time, but there's one job. You're 20 minutes late. What do you think we can do to get you back on time so you stay on your path to being a master welder. Maybe miraculously, he started giving ideas of what he could do differently. And before you know it, that job caught up on time. So what was different? You know, they, you know he didn't let the cell phone become a, 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 a diversion at that time. It wasn't the issue. The issue was where's the person trying to go and how can you present in context to that an idea that's important to you and to that person so the two of you can come together. 
Wow, it is so powerful when we look past the the surface to really understand what's going on at a deeper level. I'm wondering if there are some other elements of the velocity mindset that are really critical for success, right? We talked about the having clarity on the direction. We talked about the, you know, asking the right questions as you're going along. What are some of the other elements that are really important to bring a velocity mindset to life? One is the art of the pause. Sometimes the game velocity, you got to stop, which most people will think doesn't make sense, but it's true. Every action creates a reaction. If you don't like the reactions, you're going to keep doing the same thing. How is that going to serve you? An example was my first sales job, maybe was selling copiers. It was seduced 1980 by Royal Business Machines, you know, showing me this great new copier that was the first one in the family of the plain bond copier, so no more liquid to ruin your clothes. 15 crisp copies. I said, where's the collator? Don't worry, it's in six months. Where's the duplicator? Don't worry, it's in six months. I said, okay, it's coming. Let me go try and sell this thing. Maybe I couldn't sell it to save my life. I go out into a, a company, and the first thing they ask me is, can it duplicate? Nope. Can it uh, collate? Nope. So you can't compete with the big Xerox machine on the third floor? Well, not yet. Well, when you can, come back. That door hit my butt so many times in those first three months, it was getting sore. And I kept saying to myself, well, how much more are you going to keep doing this if it's not working? So I decided to pause. I have what's called in the book, a board meeting with myself, me, myself, and I. Where do you go for a board meeting in New Jersey? You go to the diner. So I'm at the diner and I'm asking myself, you know, in the end inside, what do you want? I said, I need to sell copies to make a living. Are you doing it? No. What are you doing? Well, I'm telling them that I saw a copy, and the next thing they do is compete, uh, compare me to the third floor of uh, Xerox, and they can't compete. I said, maybe you need to change the conversation. So I started thinking about it, and I said, well, what does a copy do? It's nothing more than part of the communication process. So I took a risk. I went to the next person. I said to the office manager, would you agree with me that a copy is nothing more than a communication process? They said, Absolutely. I said, well, when it comes to that, what do you think the biggest challenges? And Mamie was like she started laying down on the couch in the therapist's office. She goes, oh, my God. You know, Sam or Jane, they have to get up on the first floor to make one copy. But by the time they chit-chat to get to the staircase, go up to the third floor, stand behind all those big jobs, finally get it and come back. It could be a two-hour excursion. I said, how often does that happen? Try the equivalent of two full-time employees. And I said, well, you'd like them back. But how are you going to do that? I said, look, I'm not here to compete with the uh, copy on the third floor. It's a great machine. Keep it. I'm here to fill in the gaps for you. And what you probably should do is take one of these Royal 115 copiers, put one on every floor for those one and two copy jobs, and you'll get those two full-time employees back. And I sold three copiers that day. Wow. Would never have happened if I didn't pause, started looking at what I wanted to accomplish, what was working, what wasn't and saying, what could I do differently? And that's a premise in the book, by the way, that I want everybody to be clear about. The premise of the velocity mindset is, what would the world look like if everybody acted like a leader and not a victim of circumstance? So if you're a manager, you know, if you're a VP, whatever your job is, you know, people tend to do one thing. When something goes wrong or doesn't go the way you want it, they start blaming others. They start looking externally. Uh-uh, effective leaders, the first thing they do is they ask themselves one question. What could I do differently next time? I mean, that's such a powerful message, right? And I love this concept of having a board meeting with yourself, right? To take take some time and actually sit and have those tough conversations and, and 
do the reflection and the introspection to figure out why isn't it working? What am I doing that could be different? And as you said, if you keep doing the same thing, right, it doesn't take you anywhere. You just kind of keep treading water. So sometimes the only way to create that velocity is to try something different and to acknowledge that what we were doing before isn't working or maybe is no longer working. And when you keep doing it, it's not working. That's when you get the burnout. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So as a manager, right, I'm thinking I can do this for myself. I can pause, right? I could build it into my calendar and say once a month, I'm going to take myself out for an hour and, you know, go to a diner, get me some coffee, you know, whatever, go for a walk. And I'm going to have those conversations with myself about what could I do differently in this next month or this next quarter, this next year? Where are things not working the way that I want them to? And what could I do differently? Do you think that teams should be doing this also? Like, is this something that a team could get together once a quarter and and do a reflection process of how are we doing as a group? Absolutely. But there's a thing that you have to stay away from when you do that. A friend of mine, I wrote a book called Enlightened Leadership. And uh, he was brought in by a software company that was behind delivery of a new product. And when they didn't meet it on time, that delay cost their customer, a million dollars, the company, a million dollars a month. So the team would get together and now they're late. And what's the first thing that everybody's doing? They're talking about what went wrong, forcing everybody to have that CYA conversation, cover your, you know what? Mm-hmm. And that sucks out the wind of the, com- of the meeting. And that sucks out any creative juices. So if people are gonna take that pause don't concentrate and, and get mired in what's not working well. Start with the end in sight. What do you want and what could we do differently to get there? That's the trick because you need those creative juices to think about the new ideas. If all you're doing is concentrating on what didn't work and why people didn't do something, all you're doing is getting that cover your ass conversation. Nothing's going to happen. Oh, I completely, completely agree. And there's a practice I use with teams called an after-action review or a post-mortem, and I see that exact thing happen when it's not well-facilitated, when it just becomes a finger-pointing and, you know, there are just so much blame and deflection. It's not productive. But when it's facilitated well and you can really look to see what did we think was going to happen, what were we trying to accomplish, and then what actually happened and why was there a difference in acknowledging where mistakes were made and saying, what can we learn from that? Or acknowledging where things just didn't turn out the way we thought. Sometimes we did everything we said we were going to do and it just didn't work. And that's okay. I I would avoid though having those parts of the conversation, what didn't work out and, and, and things like that, because that is the quicksand that leads to that conversation that, that, that takes, sucks the air out of the room. It's real simple. If you take a continuum from zero to 10, all right, and you're at a certain place today. So let's suppose you're below where you want to be. I asked the team, zero to 10, where are we today in terms of effectiveness or where we should be? I don't care what the number is. They'll say three, four, five, six, whatever number. I said, okay, here's where you are today. No emotion to it. Where should we be? Where do we want to be next month? We want to be at a seven. All right, so you're at three now, you want to be at a seven. What do we have to do to get to a seven? That's all I want that conversation on. I don't want it on anything else. Wow. That is a super powerful question. What do we need to do to get from a three to a five or a five to a seven or a seven to a 10? 
and just focus on what new things we need to do that I, I can see how that is a different conversation than what did we do wrong. So thank you for clarifying that. But we are now running out of time. So next question is, you know, the show is called The Modern Manager, all about how to be a great manager, build an effective team. So can you tell us about a wonderful manager that you had and what made this person so fantastic? So when I was selling uh, for Simplex Time Recorder, uh, you know, where they put time systems in like on trading floors where they had to switch at the same time, they were electronic, they were computerized. I brought in the biggest deal for the company. And I was in New York and I, and I was the number one salesperson. I walked into the sales manager's office, who, by the way, I had a little chip on my shoulder about. And <clears throat> trust me, it's not because she was a woman. My mother was a woman ahead of her time. I'm dedicated to helping businesses and women succeed. I just thought I was better than her. And I thought I should have had the job. So now I come in and I show this job, you know, the biggest deal of my life. And the first thing she said to me was, that is great. What's your next deal? And I looked at her and I said, are you kidding me? I just gave you the biggest deal in the company's history. And you asked me what the next deal was. You got a guy sitting outside your office who's 10% a quota and you're putting the heat on me. And that's when she taught me the most powerful lesson I learned. And that's why she proved she had the right to be in that chair. She said, Ron, right now you're full of piss and vinegar. You're so strong right now because you got this big deal, which is huge. It would be a shame to race that energy and not go in and tackle the next deal. That guy outside, if I put any pressure on him, he's so brittle, he'll crack. But you, my friend, we need to ride that energy. Because if you don't, you'll be the one who's going to be looking back in the rearview mirror saying, why didn't I do it? That was a very powerful lesson. Yeah. And you can see how she was really driving that momentum, right? Like yeah. channeling the energy and the speed that you had coming off of one deal right into a focused purpose that was going to move it all forward. Beautiful. Right. And, and so what people do is they close a big deal. The first thing they do, oh, let's go play golf and celebrate. No, you don't play golf that day. You save the golf when you're not doing too well. Go out and leverage that energy onto another deal. That's how you not only make quota. That's not only how you make your, your goals. That's how you far exceed your goals that make you the superstar. Awesome. Well, where can people get a copy of your book, The Velocity Mindset, and keep up with your work, Ron? So number one, they can get it on, on Amazon. But if they go to velocitymindset.com, velocitymindset.com, a, uh, put your email in there. You'll get Velocity Mindset videos every Friday to keep you in the conversation. B, there's a free leadership assessment there on five areas. Just take it and you'll score yourself, but you'll get best practices and tips on how you can move forward in each of those areas. And plus, there's a link to get you to Amazon to buy the book. Well, thank you again so much for sharing all of these amazing stories and helping all of us who are listening to build a better velocity mindset. All right. Thank you so much, Mamie, for trusting and for having me. Ron has generously offered three audiobook versions of The Velocity Mindset, How Leaders Eliminate Risk, Gain Buy-In, and Achieve Better Results Faster. This offer is available to members of The Modern Manager. To get one of these three available audiobooks, you must be one of the first three members to request it. To become a member, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. 
As always, all the links are in the show notes, and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Get on that list at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team. I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.